1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind Massive Screens, a game development podcast here from Massive Entertainment in Malmo, Sweden. My name is Dori, and uh, I am continuing on my onwards plan of taking over this podcast completely. First, I joined as a uh, co-host, and now I'm doing the intro. Yeah, I thought. Uh, yeah,
2: you you you're you're not doing a good job. I'm, I keep showing up. You keep unlocking the door. That's uh, your problem. So you're far. always first in the room.
1: So far. Also, yeah. Petter is here. I'm here. I'm
3: still- <laughs> <laughs> ah,
1: this is my life. Hey, everyone, welcome. How are you Dory? Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, for those of you only listening on uh, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you should ch- tune into the uh, YouTube version to see my glorious holiday sweater. It I'm is in the beautiful. It's pretty awesome. And if it, this comes, is, right? if this it comes is. out in January, mm, tough. Uh, we're recording in December (laughs) it's Christmas
2: yeah you can become all nostalgic thinking back to uh, the wonders of uh, the holidays
1: yeah if If stores can start decorating in November I can wear Christmas stuff in January
2: next year we're gonna spray paint your beard white (laughs) yes we're gonna complete the whole thing (laughs) we have a guest
1: oh oh oh, (laughs) we can sit here forever but (laughs) we have a guest
2: You want to do the introduction of the guest as well to complete the kind of the takeover?
1: No, I'm not ready for that yet. Okay. Uh, That's uh, that's (laughs) for next podcast.
2: All right. Uh, Welcome very much, Drew, game director here at Passive Entertainment. Thank you you so much. Uh, So a little story before we get started. You've been on quite a lot of, uh, you used to work on The Division Division 2. Absolutely. You've been on a lot of like streams and podcasts and stuff before. Yeah, yeah. You had a nickname. In the division community, <laughs> uh, Do you
0: remember? Y- I, uh, I I want to make. I might recall it. a little bit. I, I I don't think I feel comfortable saying it. Okay,
2: uh, Drew used to be called Drew Cena in, in the community. I Maybe mean, because the thing is, you were always on stream with like community developers and game designers, and our arms compared to yours are <laughs> quite a lot smaller. I'm just saying. So welcome, Drew Cena. Welcome yeah, to the podcast. How are you? <laughs> thanks.
0: I'm great. Good. Okay, it's super good to be here.
2: It's awesome to have you here again. It's uh, awesome it's to It's been a while. Yeah, it's been yeah.
0: way too long. Been years.
2: Yeah. Um. So, the first question we always ask, we need to ask it again. Yeah. What does a game director do?
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Top that's level. A, that's a that's a good question. So, I mean, it's it's mostly about providing kind of high-level direction for everything that is gameplay. Right? right. So, you can... In essence, right, you can kind of split a game into two parts. It's not a perfect split, but like you can basically say, well, there's like features or gameplay, and then there's content, mm. right? And those are the kind of like the two major families. Now, in reality, there's tons of crossover, uh, but a game director is really in short, char- like, uh, responsible for like kind of uh, directing, leading um, the kind of gameplay or the feature aspect
3: of it. Right.
0: So that's everything from like, uh, you know, like the game design teams, the the gameplay code teams, uh, gameplay animation, like all that kind of stuff. Sounds like you have a lot of keeping your head at the same time. Yeah. Are we we yeah, always if talk it, about... just. If, but if I, you surround yourself with great people and then... Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah
1: but I you know, uh, just, you know. just, just... We're right Massive. I want to make sure that I understand it correctly. If You could say that it's like control of the gameplay aspect of it rather than the story content.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... And it's really... I mean, it's not so much about the control, but it's it's really like the kind of like responsibility to kind of like ensure that everything kind of like comes together, that you're providing some kind of like high level direction and you're you're like kind of like steering a ship. You're not the one, you're not the engine, you're not the the steering either the um the kind of uh, like all the the components that actually like make it happen and are like super critical to it. You're just like the person like steering the ship and being like, Hey, I think we should turn left here, you know, like yeah.
1: yeah one with the schematic saying like yeah, oh it's exactly. going to come here it's going to fit no. And <laughs> exactly. Over- overseeing the assembly maybe yeah yeah
2: so how many meetings are you in in a week
0: that's a good question
2: how
1: did, I mean, you, ha- how did you have time for uh, how this? many meetings am I yeah, not exactly, in in a week exactly
0: we're very yeah. grateful yeah no it's of course it's uh, make time anytime.
3: Yeah, no, because we always <laughs> talk, we talk
2: about uh, almost every time we end up talking about communication between various teams yeah, yeah. and it sounds like you definitely have to have communications with so many different people. Yeah, for sure. Time.
0: That's a that's a huge part of the of the job, right? When you work on AAA games, you know, team sizes can range anywhere between you know a couple hundred to many hundred, right? Of people, sometimes across multiple continents, right? Time zones, all of that stuff. So communication is uh, is one of the greatest obstacles, and uh, it's a huge part of uh, what a lot of people do, but uh, but especially uh, part of my job as well.
2: Yeah. The other question we always ask because it's always fascinating and I know you have a quite a, an interesting story about how you ended up at Massive Entertainment in Malmo.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How? Yeah, how That's <laughs> That's, how that's the question. How indeed? Uh so the uh do you want the long version or the short version? Oh, we
1: have Like we well, always say it's an hour podcast, I mean, we have time. Yeah yeah, 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 good. We want to hear it, <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh I actually went to uh to university to be a teacher and uh I I taught middle school for a year graduating after I graduated university. Uh, but kind of the whole time I really like wanted to be a game developer, right? Like I, I, I thought of being a game developer was like the same as like professional athlete, like a rock star. And then I was like game developer. That's like number three. If I can't be one of those two things, like game developer would be like it's the quite, next It's thing, quite right? the
2: split. Like, uh, went to university to become yeah. history teacher, yeah, professional yeah. athlete, rock star, right, and then game yeah. developer.
0: Yeah. So, oh, well, definitely not a professional athlete. Not even close to a rock star. <laughs> game developer, I got. Oh, well, you got Drew yeah. Cena. No, it <laughs> <so, laughs> was kind of a rock star.
2: And, anyway.
0: Yeah. No, but it was, uh, you know, it was something always in the back of my mind, but it, it wasn't really a reality. Because, I mean, we're, we're talking, like, uh, when I first kind of had this idea, it was like, you know, around your late 90s, early 2000s, right? And you know, like game development education, especially in the United States, especially in the Midwest, wasn't really a thing. There really weren't that many opportunities outside of a couple of places. And uh, you know, it was, it was a bit of a of a of an unclear path to get into games, right? So, so yeah, so I, I I didn't even think that was really a possibility. So went to university. You know, was always really into like like coding and like kind of like making games on the side. And then that's actually really when I got into modding as well. And that became kind of an obsession. Uh, and, you know, and I just always assumed that that was, it would be just something I did on the side, right? Uh, but then I ended up moving to uh, to another place. So I was in Indianapolis um, and then I moved to Houston, Texas. And Houston, Texas actually had two game developers that were there. And there weren't any game developers in Indianapolis. And uh, I remember uh, my my now wife, but she wasn't my wife at the time, was like, hey, you know, you're looking for teaching jobs but look there's game developers i know you want to be a game developer more than anything right and so that's uh, so why I, I applied obviously and um i kind of like used my modding experience as uh, as like my 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 foot into the door right and uh, and i remember i had applied for like a level design position that i probably wasn't very qualified for really uh, <laughs> looking back but uh <laughs> But uh, the, the recruiter was like, hey, we filled this position already, but would you be interested to come in as a, for a QC position or QA, uh, as as it's called in the States? And, uh, and I was like, yes. So I show up, full suit, tie I think that's beautiful. to an interview. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm told later that everyone was like, who is this business person that's coming in? And right. like, why is he here? Are we getting <laughs> fired? Like, you know, these are all the thoughts going yeah. to people's head. Your you know, sex are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my mind, I'm like, uh, like, oh, I, I got I to gotta dress up, look nice. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, going there, I immediately felt stupid, but uh, it was all right. <laughs> I got the job, right? Yeah. So uh, it turned out okay. Um, yeah. And then was there for a while, worked on a few games, uh, mostly multiplayer shooter titles, like section eight, section eight prejudice. Right. Worked on a game called, uh, aliens, clone of Marines that maybe, oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe a be more of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the company went bankrupt and like closed. And there was a guy that I had worked with. Um, and he's, uh, he's a, he's one of those guys where like, he, he seems to like always know everyone and everything about the game industry. Right. Like, he's just like this. Kind of omniscient presence in the game industry, and he had reached out to me um, like probably a year before the company closed, and was like, "Hey, I'm at this really cool place in Sweden. You should come. Like, there's we're definitely looking for like game designers. You should come." And I was like, "Well, you know, things are going pretty well. My, my <laughs> wife just graduated, uh, you know, with her with her with her master's degree, and like, yeah, it's like she just got a job. Blah 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 blah." So like, ah, I think we'll, we'll wait it out here. And he's like, well, he's like, I just want to let you know, like, I can't tell you anything about the game, but it's going to change the world, you know? And I was like, ah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Year later, the company goes bankrupt, closes the doors, <laughs> right? And I contacted him again. I was like, so,
1: about <laughs> about now, about yeah, the tell now.
0: me about it. <laughs> and actually at that time he was like, well, it's summer. He's like, we're, we're closing down, yeah. right? And uh, he's like, but check out E3. And he didn't say anything mm. more than that, but he's like, check out E3. So I check out E3, and of course, this is 2013. Right. And that's of the course. big reveal of, of the division. Yeah. And that like, blew my mind because I was like, wait, 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 that's the studio making this game. You know?" And I was like, oh, I got to do it. Uh, so then I like, came for an interview, uh, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Moved, uh, moved at the beginning of the next year yeah. uh, after all the work permit uh, stuff uh, was sorted in the move. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast.
2: That trailer keeps coming back in these interviews. Yeah, uh, Frederick Thylander was so here good. Uh, in episode so good. two, I think, of this yeah. uh, podcast, and it was the same for him. He saw the trailer. And was yeah, like, yeah, I'm going there. Yeah, but have got to work on
0: this. Yeah, and it's funny too because, like, I mean, and and Frederick and I would we we still talk about it, but like we would talk about it all the time in like Division One and Two. Yeah, and and same with like Ada and, and Matt and uh, and everyone else. Like We would just constantly talk about that trailer, like because it was just it was such a game changer at the time. Yeah, you know. Most definitely.
2: Yeah. But did you? Were you in? You weren't in QC the entire time. You were at. No. The
0: other yeah. So I I was in QC. Uh. Like so. I, that's like kind of where I got my my foot in the door. I learned so much. I think I was there for uh, maybe. Four months or something like that. And it was, it was like, you know, in developer QC. And I think at that time, there were only four of us or something like that. So we're a pretty small, tight-knit group. Used to play uh, Left 4 Dead every lunch uh, together over LAN. Turn off the lights.
3: Yeah, Um,
0: (laughs) But, uh, but yeah. And then I I actually got into uh, community management, which I knew nothing about. Other than that, I'd seen other community managers on the forums that I was on. Sure. Um, And did that. And, like, kind of at the same time, I ended up kind of, like, running a beta, doing some production work with, like, the gameplay team, handling bug reports, surveys, and, like, analyzing data and making recommendations, scripting events. I, like, kind of progressively moved more and more towards, like, game design. Right. And then at a certain point, it was, like, hey, there's a design position open. Like, would you, Drew, be interested in this? Or, like, do you want to continue on the path? And, of course, I was, like, no. i I want to be a game designer. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I, I got my foot in the door there. And, and then, you know, and I worked on all sorts of systems and that was like kind of actually the nice thing about working at a smaller studio where we I think we were a hundred people or something at that time. So it meant, uh, I got exposed to all sorts of different systems, mm-hmm. got to learn so many different things about, you know, controls, camera systems, scoring systems, progression, and then uh, eventually like AI. Yeah, um, and that was uh something I was doing the last, you know, couple years or whatever, and, and in addition to some of the other things like working on weapons and camera and controls and stuff, and uh, and then that's when I when I came to Massive, you know, I was able to specialize a bit more, and that was kind of like my my major focus on on Division One.
3: Yeah,
1: now yeah. I have to because you you dropped a name in there that piqued my interest. Yeah, Alien Colonial Marines. Yeah. Yes. Can you, I mean, that must have been early in the life cycle of that development or the first or second life cycle of that development. Well, well we actually,
0: we, we saw it through, mm. we saw it through. So, um, I mean, it's been so many years, but, uh, but basically, right. So, um, I was at a, a studio called TimeGate and we were working with, uh, Gearbox to, uh, to make the title. And so, um, it was a yeah, collaborative effort between the two. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I think, I think you always learn a lot on every project you're on, but I think especially that one was, uh, such a great learning experience. There was, there were just so many opportunities to, to get into different things, to also witness completely different ways of working, which of course you see things that you want to take with you later on. And also, you know, some things that maybe you do differently mm-hmm. and, uh, and you, you know, you learn equally as valuable lesson from that.
2: Yeah. It's also a crash course into interesting AI speaking about AI yeah. watching an alien come to life. Yeah, yeah. Watching the Ceno come to life. Yeah. Um, but AI, yeah, you worked on AI for the division and the division two. What yep. what's it that sort of fascinated you with AI? How come you like kind of wanted to specialize in it?
0: Yeah. That's a good question. I think like I think AI was so interesting in particular because it's such a complex topic. Right. Like when I had worked on other systems, you know, you kind of, you design a system and you kind of understand where you want it to be in the end. And then once it kind of reaches that point, of course, there's always like maybe some small tweaks and improvements or whatever, but you can basically look at it and be like, oh, it's done. But with AI, you're never done. It's, it's this, this completely iterative process. And it's all about prioritization. And, you know, you can kind of have somewhat of an idea of what you want right like like high level but when it comes down to it like the actual implementation it's it's so like it's such a like something that you have to feel and um yeah and it's just it's so complex it touches everything animation systems tech art um you know you have to you have to know about character art and um like anim tech and Motion planners and narrative server client infrastructure as well.
2: I guess like how how the, yeah a bit of how that they too, are right,
0: supposed of to behave. Right? Yeah. And, uh, so I mean, it's it's uh looking at the first game
2: for example, the difference between fighting a hyena and fighting yeah a hunter.
0: Yeah, yeah. For example. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a I think it's a super fun place to be, and it's also one that's uh, that's pretty technical, um, especially you know in Snowdrop we have amazing AI tools. Like I, 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 um, I, I don't want to make this claim cause I feel like it's maybe too bold, but, uh, but at least at the time it was, uh, I think industry leading in terms of the debug tools that we had. Um, you know, we, we, there were a few GDC talks and stuff uh, that, uh, that I had the, the pleasure of sharing with, with Bill Dunstan, but also a couple other people like uh, Jonas uh, Yilberry did as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was stuff that no one else was really doing yet in, in that field. Um, so like just being a part of that was uh, super cool. I just want to say one thing. I had to look it up. Hyenas is in the
2: second game. It, the hyenas in second game. Yes. Yeah, you're now. thinking of the rioters. Rioters, yeah. right. Right. Yeah. So I, didn't, I didn't want to Sorry to all the Division <laughs> fans out there.
1: Yeah, just clip it before he fixes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hit him up on Twitter. <laughs>
2: yeah, don't at me, bro. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but what's like watching, looking at AI, like looking. Back the way it's developed, the way it has to become more complicated. People have much higher expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just thinking back to the first time in, I think my first experience, like with AI, when you start thinking about AI was yeah. Half Life. Yeah. The first one. For yeah. sure. When the soldiers come into the base. For the sure. And, and you're fighting them, and, and they start thinking,
1: flanking you, and yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. and they
2: start barking. Like yeah. he barks at the time as well, that was like, like grenade out or yeah, fire in the hole, or what they're shouting. And I remember playing it with a friend, and we're like, "What is going on? Totally, here? totally, what is happening? They're yeah. not just enemies." And then looking at when when stuff get even more complicated, like in fear when fear yeah. was released.
0: I was going to say fear. Fear was to me like the defining moment yeah. of uh, of AI. I mean, that was. I mean, sure, some of it was. Uh, I mean, that same as today. A lot of it was just like smoke and mirrors, uh, but it's, but that's the beauty of it, right? Is like, as a player, you don't know the difference, right? right? And that's, that's, that's so cool.
1: Yeah. Like, like we were told, I think in the last podcast, game development is all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, and totally. <laughs> it doesn't <Yeah>. matter <laughs> if you're actually doing it or not, if the person playing feels yeah, like it is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. how, how
2: do you, I have to ask this question when I have you here. How do you even start working on an AI system? Mm. Because there's so many branching paths that so have to make so many decisions. Yeah. Like how yeah. do you 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 have a character. Yeah. Okay, now act.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I mean, the the first thing, right, is is understanding like what the what the architecture looks like, right? So like we use behavior trees in in Snowdrop. Right. Right. So, and and you know, and then like games like Fear, um, they use like a goal-oriented action planner, go. Um, and there's like a couple other like models as well that that are used. Um, but like, once you know that, then you can kind of understand how to like think about the problem. And so, you know, behavior tree is basically, you know, if you, you can essentially think of it as like a bunch of like, if then statements, yeah. right. And you just, you, you start at, at square one and then you, you figure out like, what is the first thing I need to like figure out if I'm doing or not doing. And then you, you just kind of like work from there. But, but really, you know, you figure out at a high level what you want to achieve first mm-hmm. before you even begin to like to actually like write that stuff you know and uh and then you think about like okay do you have a detection system okay well like what kind of states will there be because that's going to inform how you set things up uh, what kind of things will you react to are there a lot or they like very few Will they have like bespoke reactions or like very generic reactions you know like will they just always play surprise and stay in place or will they like Run away from a grenade, or maybe they'll like throw it back sometimes, or you know, like all of those things have a really big impact on on how you set things up, so yeah, but yeah, other than that, it's um i mean this is I feel like this is such a cop out, but it's it's just like a lot of like hard work and like you know iteration, yeah, you I was know just you- <laughs> about to ask, because if one.
2: It has to be a lot of iteration because considering if one gameplay element changes the behavior of the enemy <laughs> could, like make zero sense anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean that and that's true. Like you don't like you definitely need to like solidify at least the core. Like with the division, it was like, okay, it was a cover-based shooter. Mm. But if for some reason at some point in development we were like, we're no longer a cover-based shooter. Wow. That would have had a huge, huge <laughs> impact on, on how everything was created. So that's so it's true. But I mean, that wasn't going to change, right? Because we know. knew like, that was, a, that was a, a tentpole, so to speak. Um, but there's, there's other things you can do, though, to kind of like, mitigate these things. Like, okay, what if the player has this skill? Well, what if that gets cut and we're replaced with a different skill? Mm. And it's like, you, what you want to do is you want to build something that's modular enough mm. that like, you know, it's essentially just like turning off things or like making a small adjustment in one place, not in many places. Right. You know, in, in division two, I think we shipped with something like 73 different enemy archetypes, mm-hmm. I think, which was a lot. But the only reason we were able to maintain that is because we used a lot of modularity where a lot of the NPCs were like sharing different components and you could tweak them on like a per NPC level, but like the underlying tech itself was all kind of the same. So um so that way if you did have a major change, you could, you know, you'd only have to make it in one or maybe two places. Mm. Um, and then that would propagate to all 73 NPCs. So, so you had
1: like a like a master behavior tree, basically, and, and then
0: Yeah. It's, it was
1: tweaked for all of them, but if you made changes in the, yeah. the blueprint, then it
0: yeah you can, you can kind of think of it that way. Yeah. I mean, in, in reality, it works a little bit differently than that. It's it's all about using what we call compound nodes, which are uh, basically like little instanced uh, groups of like logic um, that you can input different like variables and like set different flags or, or or things like that in, and it depending on that, like you get a different output. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's essentially, you know, another way to think of it is, is kind of how you're
1: describing. it. Yeah. It's just when you were describing like how you go about it from start to finish, it, it, yeah. it sounded like, like you want to build a brick wall and you have the blueprint and you start laying the bricks, yeah. but they're making the bricks as you're putting yeah. in. Yeah. So, you, you know, <laughs> and there's sometimes this one is sizes. slightly different yeah. Shape. <laughs> um. yeah,
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so you have to adjust. I mean, you, you do have that, that plan and that's what you, what you fall back on. And that is going to be, you know, at least 80% correct or whatever. But then there's 20% agility and, and adaptability yeah, that's required. Yeah. I think
2: it's interesting as well that you can make an AI too good. Mm. For the' yeah. players. How do you, have you been any situations where you felt like, okay, we need to scale this back like yeah. watching the hunters in the beginning, for example, they were yeah. crazy yeah. Uh, the way they acted like, how, yeah. how have you had all, like moments where you go, okay, yeah, we' done too good of a job with this enemy <laughs> right scale it back
0: scale yeah. it back I mean I, th- I think one of the one of the really important things right that that I learned um, I think it, like especially like kind of early on, right, was that when you work in AI, it's not about making the smartest AI, right? It's really about making the most fun mm. AI, right? Like you're always servicing the game, right? Like the AI isn't there to be like amazing AI. It's there to service whatever the game needs, right? And, and, and that's just to kind of create like the most fun possible. So in a game like The Division, of course, right, the AI is intentionally built to have all sorts of flaws that you can exploit as a player, Mm. right? Like the grenadiers, before they throw a grenade, they're going to tell you they're going to throw a grenade and then they're going to expose (laughs) themselves. And then they're going to be like, no, but seriously, I'm throwing a grenade. Look, 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 Uh, throw. And, you know, and of course you can hit them and they drop it on themselves and then they fall to the ground because, oh my God, there's a grenade right there. And then they try to escape and then it blows up and it kills them, right? And hopefully as a player, you're like, I'm smart, I'm skilled, that that was fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Whereas, you know, it's like, the MPC was just like threw the grenade real quick, you know, and yeah, like because yeah, and you know, like landed right on you, and it knew exactly like yeah. how long to prime the grenade so that you couldn't escape. Like that would be fun,
1: right? No. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean that's also another thing because inside of a computer game, you as the player are inside the world that is com- controlled by the game. Yeah, yeah. The AI of the enemy is controlled by the game. So technically he always knows where you are. Yeah, totally. So so it's totally. like how that information is propagated, like when he should be able to see you. Yeah, yeah, And And also you want to have him, uh, you know, patrol in a certain way so that, you know, that the sneaking portion is, is free, like. Totally,
0: yeah. And so, I mean, and that's interesting, right? Because we have to develop all of these systems that kind of simulate the like awareness of NPCs or like the detection of NPCs um like of the player right to like simulate like oh they like lost where you were and they still think you're over here when in reality you're over here like we call those last known positions right mm. and uh i mean they're 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 super fun as a player right because you you can outsmart the ai and feel smart and you can feel like super proactive right um but uh but yeah there's there's a lot of there's a surprising amount of work to make that happen, right? Because the uh, the alternative is like, yeah, of course we know where you are on the server. Of course we know if we're going to hit you. Of course we can hit you whenever we want. Like, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of like working your way back in a way uh, to, to yeah, to just make it as much fun as possible.
1: Yeah, and then you just tune that up and call it hardcore mode. <laughs> yeah,
3: right.
0: Yeah, but then what's what's really interesting with that, right, is if you look at the division with like the legendary NPCs, Yeah, it's like, of course, like we could, we could make them like pinpoint accurate and and everything. And, and like, you know, they, they are very accurate. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But we still needed to have those little windows of opportunity. Right. But instead of them being a second or half a second, they were a 10th of a second or something like that. So we were, we were really playing with it. But if we removed it completely, then it wouldn't really be very much fun. And then we would be almost asking players to just like suffer and not know how to improve because there's no room or, like as a player like the one thing that you can kind of do when it feels hopeless is exploit right mm-hmm. because there yeah. there's always going to be some kind of like strategy or something that you that you might be able to find where like you know we we hadn't thought of or something was maybe even broken or or just not you know robust enough for us to like solve a, a difficult problem or an edge case or something like that and that's not very fun right I mean, maybe for some players it is, but... Uh, well,
2: in Dark Souls, it's very rewarding yeah. to do the cheese tactics. That's how I finished the second game, I think. Yeah. Um, but um, you wrote an article, plugging our website a little bit. Yeah, You yeah. wrote an article about AI and the, yeah. myths, the myths of AI. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's up on massive.se slash blog. Yeah, And um, do a little search for Drew or AI. And, 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 you'll find and the that. link is yeah. right
1: in the description somewhere. Yeah.
2: Right. I keep forgetting we have that.
1: Uh, George, can you write down uh, the, please, uh, the link tungsten. in the description? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> you don't have to go look for it. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, there was one thing about the... Um, Drew is tearing apart the scenery. Um, yes. The studio. Uh, one thing I just want to bring up uh, before we leave. The, this topic is... When Frederick thailander was here, yeah. he talked about um, a certain enemy type in the first game, yeah, where the backpacks exploded, yeah. when you shot at them, <laughs> yeah. and he blamed the solution, yeah on you, yeah, <laughs> putting like a shrinking down an enemy, yeah and then having that yeah. just
0: fire everywhere making them invisible, yeah, yeah. that's. Yeah. It's
2: such a brilliant, beautiful solution <laughs> to a problem.
0: So, Speaking of smoke and mirrors and video games. Yeah, I exactly. Sure. I mean, in, in, in that case, right, it, it's one of those things where we knew what we wanted. You know, and it was like, they have this ammo back and, you know, because video games, uh, you shoot that thing and it like has that like kind of like popcorn effect and fires bullets everywhere. And we want to be like a chaos creator, right? But we actually didn't have an ability to fire bullets unless it was like an NPC or a player.
3: Right.
0: So like we couldn't just have like a random object fire bullets. Why? Because like we didn't, like our weapon system didn't run on like props, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah. So the obvious solution then is like, well, we could do the super expensive thing that's going to take forever. And like, who knows actually like how good it'll be, how much control, because then we have to port all these systems to it and everything. It's like, or, we could spawn a tiny invisible NPC who has terrible accuracy and is like firing all over the place. (laughs) And uh, yeah. And, and I remember putting that in and, and one of our uh, gameplay programmers, uh, Robin was like, he's like, you did what? I explained (laughs) it again to him. And then he was like, you know, that's not the worst.
3: <laughs> and then we
0: shift with it. So <laughs>
2: well, I, I love how how especially like triple A video games or video games in general can, it can be ex- they are extremely complicated projects. Yeah, but yeah. sometimes it's just the easy solutions. Yeah, totally. That totally. makes the biggest biggest yeah. effect. Yeah. It's brilliant. One thing you started talking about before that we're gonna delve into a little bit because if somebody has experience in a crazy Modding projects, a highly ambitious modding project that you made. When, when are you uh, no, sure. you're not punning it. In, no, yeah. no, sure. my, my Duke Nukem maps I made when I was 16. Highly, <laughs> highly ambitious level. <laughs> um, no, it's you, Drew, obviously. Um, how did you, before we talk about that particular project, you were talk, like modding was a way for you to get started. Yeah. Uh, making the games. Yeah, totally. How did you, like, how did you get into it? When did you... What tools did you use? Yeah. When did you get started?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the first mod tools that I used were Never Nights 1. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd actually toyed around with some mod tools before that. But it was so complicated. Yeah. Right. It was like, I didn't even know where to begin when I was like looking, you know, at like Half-Life, for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> like trying to mod that. I was like, i like, I don't even like, what am I looking at? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and in those days too, it was really hard to find good resources online uh, you know, because the internet was... Uh, was kind of sure.
2: I not was actually. A, much I was of a actually, thing then, I guess. I was actually thinking about that uh, after we had our meeting. Yeah. We talked about modding tools, and I was I was actually thinking about my Duke Nukem maps. Yeah, I'm trying to understand and remember. Yeah, it was like 25 years ago. H- how did I do this? Yeah, how did I learn without <laughs> right. having resources everywhere, <laughs> yeah. forums to go to? How did I even yeah. learn? Is this a README file in the install directory? Yeah. I, I don't
0: understand. I mean, sometimes, I mean, other times it's just, you just play around with it long enough and you learn. Sure. And in, in my case for Neverwinter Nights 1, right, it was, it was so easy to get into. Mm-hmm. But at that time too, there was an amazing community. And so like forums were like the, the place where you could ask questions where yeah. you could find other people asking the exact same questions as you. Um, there
2: was also a really nice tool for Neverwinter Nights with the standalone program. Yeah. It just had a couple of drop down menus. Yeah, like, I want to do this. I want the character to go there to a specific yeah, point. Right. I want that's to Spawn right. an object. Yeah, And right. you click generate, then it would generate the code. Yes, and you can just put that in. a script. Yeah, the
0: and, uh, uh, the, the script generator. I think Lilac Soul. Was like, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. That's coding. the one. Yeah. That was and,
2: and that was that helped it was me. Brilliant. To, yeah. It was but, really but that's brilliant.
0: actually. I'm. That's how I learned never script was actually putting in a bunch of things there right. and being like I because I didn't really understand the context. I understood a little bit because I I you know had done some some coding and everything, but. Um, I wasn't entirely sure about like what functions existed and, and what they did and everything and the, right. and the syntax and, and doing that, I, I learned so much. I remember, I think actually like even with, uh, with kind of the, the first big mod that I released, I think if you look at like all the scripts, I bet there's still some portion that will say generated by uh script generator, Lilac like yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like there's probably still some of those in there. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. But uh, like just to, to explain the Aurora uh, modding tools that it was, was yeah. called, yeah. why it was so easy to work with compared to if you're looking at other modding tools, especially at the time. because I, yeah. I tried Divinity 2, which is kind of similar genre to Neverwinter. Yeah, yeah. And I tried their modding tools and you're just looking at a black screen you're going, okay, so quit. I'm out. <laughs> right. While Aurora Engine was really easy to work with. So easy. Just the way you could place objects, place uh, environments, everything. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything was, was tile based for the map. Yeah. Right. And, and so like, and, and at the beginning you were basically asked kind of like, how big is the map? Okay. And then, um, I don't remember if this is never, so. Now I'm like getting never one it's one and two mixed right. up. But I don't remember if you made the choice then. What kind, like what style? If it was a dungeon, if it was a forest, or I whatever. Think so. so I think you did at that point. But otherwise, it's 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 after. But it was the regardless. It's super easy because you have these menus clearly labeled. They made the game with the the tool set in mind, right? Yeah. And the developers use that tool to make the campaign.
2: You can actually open the campaign in the modding yeah, tools. Yeah, like exactly. Check, check out how they did it. Exactly. Stuff, and and you can
0: do literally every single thing yeah. that they did. And uh, which, by the way, was also, you know, one of the ways that I, that I was able to learn the engine was by just opening the campaign. And because I had played the campaign I was like, how did they do this, like cutscene or whatever? It's okay. like, oh, that's brilliant. They're hiding the player. They're making him invisible. And like, I mean, it was just, such cool stuff to like learn at that moment. So, so
1: yeah, just boot it in and then read the code for the function that you're yeah. looking for how they did. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Ah, that's
0: nice. Yeah. But the, but the, the, just the user friendliness yep. of that engine. I mean, you could make a map in, in, in under a minute. I mean, yep. it wouldn't be a good map, but it would be a map. Yep. And that is, you know, I don't, I still don't think there's an engine today that you can do it that quickly and get in game and, and just like run around in it. Uh, it's, think, it's amazing. I
2: think it's still worth, actually investing in if if you're interested in modding interested in telling stories and just want to make maybe not so much focus on your own gameplay and your own kind of of, uh, genre or whatever you want but a way to tell a story because you have all the the conversation tools you have everything that you can dream of and the conversation tools for example really easy to work with as well yeah i can get really complicated uh but it's it's still easy to use, so I think it still might be worth as a beginner to actually take a look yeah. instead of hey, I'm downloading Unity and driving myself insane. M- maybe pick up Neverwinter Nights <laughs> on Steam and, an and, and yeah. get started in the tool. Yeah, exactly, because it's still and there are still like multiplayer servers running. The, yeah, there uh, are. City of it's still a Beth, pretty it's cool. yeah,
0: so, it's still a pretty active community. Yeah, and I mean in in these days, right? It's um, I mean, I, I moved to Neverwinter Nights two, uh, kind of exclusively at the end of. 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it's, it's a more powerful tool set in a lot of ways. But on the flip side, it does actually come at the expense of kind of usability, mm-hmm. right? So no longer can you just like quickly like put out stuff on a grid. It's like, okay, the exterior areas, you're actually like painting terrain. And then interior areas, it's like, yes, it's still tile based, but you have to make the tiles match up. You know, and it's just, it's just a little bit extra effort. It's not difficult, but it, but it is a little bit of a, of a learning curve. Um, And it's different camera and everything like that. So, you know, the attention to detail is different. It's, it's higher fidelity, which also makes it more time consuming and you have to kind of do your own lighting and and stuff like that. Yeah. So.
2: (laughs) <laughs> going into Neverwinter Nights 2 now yeah, and
0: the crazy project you started.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like this is one of the most ambitious modding projects I've heard of actually. <laughs>
0: what did you do, Drew? You, what
2: did and I what do? did you yeah. do? <laughs> if I google your name, yeah. what will I find on the internet?
0: Yeah. I, I that's a good question. I I don't know. I can I, can do it I, now, truly I don't, don't know. <laughs> um but uh but yeah, so I uh before I got in the game industry, I had a I mean, a Kind of a, a a crazy idea, which was, you know, this tool set for Never in Nights Two has all of the things that I could ever need and want to remake Baldur's Gate, because Baldur's Gate was and is like my favorite game of all time, and uh, there's such fun memories of, of of playing that game, and and I remember like I, I tried a little bit in Never in Nights One, I got uh, up to uh, like the uh, the Friendly Arm in, which isn't that far. Um, and then I, I remember being like, ah, you know, it's just the, it's too limiting. Like the tools aren't there to like really like, or not the tools, but the, like the kind of areas mm. themselves, uh, just aren't, uh, it's, it, it yeah, it just was like not robust enough to like feature the kind of landscapes and things that I wanted to do. So never nights two came out. was like, yes, this, this is perfect. And I'm completely naive. I've never made a game before, really. Like I had made some, some silly things in high school that were like, you know, board games and stuff, but you Know <laughs> on, on PC and uh, yeah, so I I started um, I I uh, what 2006 and then uh, seven years later, I released it.
3: <laughs> so it took you
2: took
0: seven years, I think. You but said, I, did <laughs> I,
2: I think you said in the interview we did before that you, that was not the time frame you expected.
0: Oh, no, not at all. I had no idea. No, oh. I, I mean, when I when I started, I was like, how hard. Could this be? How hard can right? it be to
2: remake? <laughs> how hard could this be? One of the biggest RPGs. I was like, in you history. know, like
0: look at this. I've got this engine. People already like made this. Like, how hard yeah. could like implementation
3: be? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh wow. Um, so yeah, I, I I fully expected that I would be done in about I think like two years or something like that.
3: Mm.
0: And I'm I'm pretty sure I told my wife that too um so, so that's, that's why
2: she in the end like <laughs> just get a job in this so you get paid <laughs> right. instead of working on this crazy project
0: yeah so but but it was really cool right because in doing this like I, I learned a ton and like early on too i i started to learn that there was so much more that i didn't know like because I, I mean i thought i didn't know a lot but i was like still like learning and i was like oh okay i kind of have like a general feel i kind of understand how to do this but then as you really get into it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea how like all these like pipelines work, these workflows, you know, and there was there were so many things around like just game production that I had just never thought about until I'd like really started to get into it. Um, and that's actually where like I, I worked with a, with another person uh, because there were like in, in the modding community in general, when you're working on a big project, there's always like kind of a, a large kind of transient group of people, right? They like come and go, they like maybe like contribute a couple things. And then they go, right? Because no one's paid. It's no one's job. They're doing it because they love it, you know? And, and it's just like passion. And so, you know, like real life happens, people's interests shift or, or whatever, right? And they don't have time, so they, they drop out, right? But I was lucky enough to, to have a, a person uh, who helped out um, and, well, helped out, I mean, like co-developed, uh, like Baldur's Gate uh, Reloaded, which is the, the name of the, the remake in Evernight's 2, And, uh, yeah. And like, I think we worked on it for five years, uh, together. And there was a lot too, that I learned about like just the coordination that you have to do and the communication Mm. uh, that you have to do. Right. Because one person it's super easy because everything, everything's here. You write down only what you need to write down because you might forget it. But when it's two people, all of a sudden, you know, you're like, well, I really want this like translation of Baldur's Gate to mean this. Well, that person doesn't know that. Yeah. I need to convey that some way, right? So you need to like figure out how to like talk about it and then you need to reinforce it and then you need to talk about when that doesn't align. Maybe actually because, you know, you're, you're doing it together, maybe you actually need to compromise. You need to shift. So there's, there's so many cool things uh, that you learn along the way. Yep. Yeah.
2: And in general, what do you think? If if it's a good place to start, if, if you're interested in, oh, yeah. in game development, we talk a lot about like tips and tricks and where should you get started yeah. and things with the people who... Yeah who uh, come to guest us and obviously modding for you was a big way into the industry.
0: Totally. I I think, I think modding is one of those things where like, I I think early on in the industry, that was kind of the way to kind of like get a job in the industry was, was, was to mod because there, you know, there wasn't formalized education and beyond just like having a friend, it was like, that was kind of the way to, to learn and to get your foot in the door. But I think modding, you know, like modding tools have kind of been on the decline Right, and and that's for a ton of reasons, right? Games going more multiplayer, and you can't really do modding so easily with multiplayer games. Um, But also, like you know, with that, I think that um, you know, I think we we lose something really special, right? And and that is, I think, modding is a great educational tool about how to make games, but also how to think about how to make games, right? Because one of the beauty of modding something is you're actually taking a finished game, a finished engine something that shipped a game and you are using that to make a new experience. So mm-hmm. you get to see all of these super talented, smart people, what they finished. Yeah. Their and solutions to, and their approach. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you can learn so much. You learn, you learn like, okay, they, why did they do this? Like and then you 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 know you read and code. They make a comment. So they're like, "I'm doing this because." Well, is why, did, thing? why did because they make
1: what? a tiny invisible NPC? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. And 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 it's and it's really really cool, right? You you learn that and you, and you take that with you, right? And then you can use that approach as well. Because in in game development, right, it's it's not always necessarily like the best ideas that always win. I mean, sure, it is a lot of times, but a lot of times it's also like the most like cost effective right because and time effective and time effective exactly yeah sorry when I say cost it's it's uh, kind of the same it's uh,
2: ruined by that's what I mean ruined by the industry yeah exactly that's that's
0: what (laughs) it sounds uh, time time is money (laughs) exactly no but uh, you know like uh, but all games have this this problem right where you have a set amount of time to make a game you always would want more to do everything perfectly but but you can't right so you have to like figure out what is the quickest best bang for the buck way to make something and I think modding is is, a is a wonderful way to kind of learn that mm-hmm. because you say, okay, well, what, what do I have right now that I don't need to make from scratch? How can I combine that in interesting ways to make something that, you know, spits out something super cool and mm-hmm. fun at the end?
2: I think for me personally, what I feel now about like modern modding um, is it is coming from Neverwinter Nights as well, like yeah. getting my start there started modding jesus it sounds <laughs> like I, I actually created something in my life i never created a mod uh but started to poke around in it there and then going to do games like dragon age which is still kind of yeah complicated to work with but still yeah. manageable you can uh, create some cutscenes, created some scenes yeah fairly easily in that but coming to more modern engines, like i had some idea for a skyrim mod yeah booted that up yeah and again just like <laughs> mm, no yeah, um, yeah, it feels quite intimidating now Yeah, for me going in with, with modern day modding tools. Yeah, for sure. How do you get over that kind of, that step?
0: Yeah. You think? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a good question. So, I mean, I, I think like a lot of things, right. It's, it's really, I think it's about setting the right expectations, right. That it's going to take a while and that's going to be a learning process, mm. right. Because it is one of those things where you, where you step into it, you're not going to know everything and you're going to have to learn right and that means starting small you know it's it's not like from day 1 you're like i have this amazing idea i'm going to make a rideable dragon mm. like no like that's that's <laughs> not where you're going to be on day 1 right it's going to take a while and i think having that expectation is especially for like more modern modern tools and engines mm. i think is is uh, is super helpful mm. and there's so many good resources out there there's so like what i love too about modding is there's always this community of people that are just there to help, right? Because they love it. Like, there's no, there's no financial incentives for anyone in the modding community, right? Like, people do it because they love it for the love of making games, right? And I, and I love that, right? Like, I love making games. Uh, I'm super lucky to get paid to make games because otherwise, I'd just be making without getting paid. Right. So, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that you know, like, relying on that kind of knowledge and expertise that these people have, and and nowadays, right? Like, it's I sound old. But now, but now there's like there's videos, right, like on YouTube. There's like tons of different tutorials, right, that you can that you can watch. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I outed myself as a quitter. Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> I did as well. I I remember modding in uh, the original GTA. Yeah, but that oh. was just that was just drawing on sprites, basically. Yeah, right. You right. Know, yeah. Adding penises, being very edgy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The, the old
2: Civilis- civilization two had that as well. Just open up the big yeah. map, maps and, and then yeah, yeah. And then in in Max Payne one on PC, Max Payne one, you could mod Max Payne one. Yeah, you,
1: you could if you wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what a sneaky! I never you know? got really far or made yeah. like a level or something, but people were. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Uh, you look
2: so guilty when talking about this for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's because. I don't know, I, th- I think what you mentioned before is like opening it up and it, there's just nothing,
0: yeah,
1: and then closing it down. yeah, that that was me, and I've always felt kind of, I don't know bad about it because I mm. wanted to do that yeah, yeah. but I didn't. I, I went to and you know did films and stuff as well instead. <laughs> <I> <laughs> George showing off a, a gif on the side. <laughs> great for, for the audio yeah. portion of the podcast Yeah, definitely. But but I, know, I have um, no idea what's going on. Here. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, like I I went into you know film and found a passion there, and then kind yeah. of merged back into gaming by by covering games with video. But you know, somewhere in there, there's always this this little developer <laughs> that never got the the nurture that he needed. Yeah, <laughs> we should mod something. There you go. Yeah, pick a game, any game. I mean, I I hear never Winter Nights is a that's that's download. It's a good one. I'll dig up my old it's series. It's a good and one. We'll, we'll, we'll if you guys
0: wanna, around. if you guys wanna, you know. Out on Baldur's Gate, too.
2: I was just about to say, it's not <laughs> your, your journey is not over yet. I know, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: It, well, I mean, you did because that's it'll I, be about seven I, years, I, too. I'm, I'm trying just to imagine, <laughs> yeah, probably it's I, been I, six,
0: it'll be about another
2: year. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine someone sitting in over like first, like the hypothetical person just sitting at home going, I'm gonna mo- create, recreate Baldur's Gate. Yeah. That in itself is insane,
3: yeah.
0: But, like, you what, did what it. rational person that, would do that? that nobody.
2: Really, it's a, <laughs> no rational it's a bad person idea. would. <laughs> but, at the end of the day, you did it? So, remaking Baldur's Gate 2 kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah. I guess. Well, I mean, so so basically what happened, right, is, is ship Baldur's Gate 1, and it was... Uh, the end was, like, was pretty rough. I remember voluntarily crunching, right? Like, I, I don't have a boss, I just... Uh, arbitrarily decided that I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to finish. And I, I think I did something really stupid, like drank a bunch of five hour energies. And uh, I think I slept four hours in like four days or something and just like crunched to the very end to like ship this thing. Um, And, uh, and I remember like for about a year afterwards, I'm like, I'm never doing that again ever in my life. I am done. I can feel happy about this. Like I released some patches. Um, And, uh, and then about, yeah, about a year later, the, the person that I had worked with started poking me and, you know, and of course I, at the same time kept thinking about, you know, if I were to do it again, there'd be so many things I would do differently, you know, and especially at that time I was, I was in the game industry now. So now I had like learned all sorts of things. And, and so I remember like thinking about this. And then at the same time, you know, my my partner had uh, poked me and was like, you know, I really have been thinking about Baldur's Gate 2. I think we could do an amazing job. Like, think of everything we learned, <laughs> right? And, and, of course, I'm at the same time thinking, oh, yeah, 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 that's great. So then I remember working in secret uh, from my wife, not telling her about it, and then very sheepishly bringing up, I was like, well, <laughs> you remember that seven-year project that I just finished? Um, I'm going to do another one. <laughs> <laughs> And uh yeah, so it's yeah, I've been working on it for six years for a, it's a remake of uh, Baldur's Gate 2 and uh the expansion throw to ball. It's called Shadows of Yeah. Of you added you right? added
2: in the You added in the expansions yeah, as well. Yeah, Just a good measure because it wasn't yeah, exactly. big enough.
0: It, exactly, it just, exactly. Because it wasn't it? ambitious enough. I was like, you know, someone's gonna play this and be like, wh-
2: why did they even like Hold the flaming <laughs> of the forums just because it's missing? <laughs> right.
0: But uh but no, it's it it actually has been a super fun experience and, it, and it's crazy too. Like you, you never stop learning. No. Like every single day I learn new things and this time around, right. It's been a lot more learning about animation, rigging pipelines of getting all sorts of kind of art assets in, uh, which I didn't have a ton of experience with before. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been really cool. And then of course, learning all sorts of new, like production pipeline workflow stuff. Yeah.
1: And nope. getting ten-hour energy drinks instead of five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> now, one of the uh, the main things that we always, uh, or uh, let's see, I always bring up is the accessibility to game engines. Yeah. And for me, I always thought of that as like the very best way to start getting into game development because you have these free tools and the asset store so that if you don't want to focus on creating something specific, you can get that from the asset store and focus on your craft that you yeah, want to learn. Yeah. But now I'm kind of coming over to the modding side. But but how, how would you like compare the two? Do you think mm. one is a step to the other or?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's value in both, right? Um, like I, I think modding is a bit more of like a generalized approach, which I think is really good for starting because you kind of learn who everything works, and you kind of also can find what you're interested in. Um But yeah, ultimately, like I, I think if you're if you're really interested and in, in making a game, and you kind of want to do it quickly, and you have like a cool idea, then like the asset stores are such an amazing quickly. Yeah, it's not not relatively right, right. Uh, <laughs> relatively quickly, right? Uh, less than seven years.
3: Um, I'll I, count I, on it.
0: <laughs> but I, I think like the like. Like when you think about like Unity or Unreal, um, you know, like all the different like asset stores and, and like all the great resources they have that, that you can download and stuff. I, I mean, I, I think that's an amazing way to do that. I think you still learn a lot of things, right, uh, in doing that. But it is in some ways, right, it is a, a larger barrier of entry because you, I think starting off, you don't even necessarily know what to look for or like how to do things. Whereas I think modding, you're already starting with a finished product you get to see kind of all those things and then you get to kind of like deconstruct the things that you want to
1: deconstruct.
0: And it's not, you know, you're like intentionally breaking it, whereas the other thing, it doesn't exist and you have to like figure out how to make it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, also with, with the game engines, talking about YouTube tutorials. Yeah. Like, it's swimming with how to do stuff. And I, I actually yeah. bringing it back to me trying out modding. Not too long ago, I was like, you know what? I'm working at a game studio. I should know a little bit about what I'm talking about so yeah. I, I I picked up Unreal and I decided okay I have this character and I have a skeleton that doesn't match and I have a movement set now I'm gonna make it all together I'm gonna rake <laughs> okay and that took a couple of weeks and yeah. never really worked uh, <laughs> properly. And then later, I found out, oh, you just chose one of the hardest profession inside of gaming to yeah, just yeah, totally. start with. Um, totally. But it, yeah, it, it kind of gave me a newfound respect of, oh, you don't just pick up a game engine yeah. and start making stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's it it is funny too because I, I remember like learning, you know, like 3ds Max or like ZBrush or something like that, and uh, the the amount of like Of time where like you know you just you just spend like getting lost in like these which which you know you you think it's going to be a simple thing and then it turns out that like you're picking like a super difficult thing that takes years to like master or whatever you know and it's uh because you just you don't have that background knowledge to really like understand like you know where where you are where you're going
2: and i think maybe what what i noticed in, in watching youtube tutorials for unity for example you you tried unreal i was poking around unity and, and some tutorials make it sound a lot simpler than it is mm. Like especially animation. I was watching some talks about 2D animation and, and 3D animation. It was like, oh, it's really powerful. Just do this. Oh, okay. I'm going to try that. <laughs> right.
1: uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, skip, you skipped over five different menus and yeah. uh, I don't even have the menu that you have. Um, <laughs>
2: four years of education. <laughs> yeah. And-
0: but, it, but it's like, you know, you, you talk to like our character artists or something like that, right? And uh, they, they'll sit there and, you know, in, in ZBrush or Blender or whatever and they'll just like, super quickly like make this amazing amazing like character or like prop or whatever and you're just watching and you're like wow that's amazing and then, wow that didn't take that much time
1: and then can do that
0: yeah exactly and you're like well sure like i could i could get started maybe i'll be a little bit slower no it's it's like <laughs> it's like a hundred times slower like
2: <laughs> if you're interested in what dory you tried out and failed at mm. sorry yeah no it's it, fair it's fine yeah. um Go back and listen to our tech animation episode number four, maybe. We have an uh, episode on tech animation, so go listen to that. It's really good. Um, To kind of start wrapping things up when it comes to modding, um, your favorite mod of all time, the most impressive mod you can think of.
0: So, I mean, I think there's, I mean, obviously, right, like it's hard to discount all of the, like, I mean, like Dota,
3: mm. right?
0: Like, I yeah. mean, it's like that was a mod. Counter Strike, like Team Fortress, yeah. Counter Strike. Yeah. I mean, these are it, it's it's kind of mind blowing, right? To because these things are so established now. Uh, but I think not to not to pick one of those. I mean, in the Never Nights community, right? There were some incredible mods that were made, and there was like one guy in particular uh, named Adam Miller who made some really amazing things in both Never Nights One and Never Nights Two, especially the beginning of Never Nights Two. And I remember he made. I think as a joke, he made this, uh, like, I think it was called Loot Hero. That was like a guitar hero, like spoof, (laughs) but in Neverwinter Nights 2. And like, it was just mind blowing that this, you know, the CRPG could be used to make a guitar hero game, (laughs) you know, with the crowd like cheering and like, you know, the notes going by and like having (laughs) to press the keys, like what, how do you do that? Right. And Mm -hmm. then like you, you look and see how clever it is. Um, and then there was like another like card game that he made, I think called Pirate Cards, which again it was the same thing. I mean, to me the impressive thing was using an engine that was clearly made to make you know like CRPGs, um, and then use it for something completely different. Yeah. You know that was was mind blowing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Later on, went on to inspire Quent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming, Drew. I think we could fun. sit here and talk about modding and AI for a long time, yeah. but we're having <laughs> George sitting in background waving. Well, yeah. it's getting so think blame sure. George. Yeah. for <laughs> cutting this short.
1: But yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening and or watching. And uh, remember to send us an email on screens at Massive.se mm-hmm. for uh, any suggestions or tips. Uh, if you want to complain about how he got something wrong about the Division 1, uh, go right ahead. But we would prefer if, you know, that you have a specific discipline within uh, game development that you want to hear more about or a specific person within Massive as I, well.
2: I really wanted to say something rude about you, but I couldn't think of anything. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, so send, send us an email about how much you like Dory. <laughs> Um, or me considering he's trying to take over the podcast (laughs) Um, also rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on like and subscribe like and subscribe (laughs) that's it smash the like button Bye. bye bye